lot or had some particular insight uh, into. It's a passage that just very that, that was just very clear what God was looking for, and simultaneously it was clear that I was not doing this what this passage said, and what it's saying is pretty pretty radical thing. We're going to look at this passage this morning, and it's going to take us a few minutes to get to the verses that I'm talking about right now. We're going to look at 14 verses, and it's verses 12 through 14 that, that deeply convicted me and really has been lingering in my heart and mind for several years. Uh, it hasn't been on a daily basis, but I would say certainly a weekly basis that I have thought about this passage and how God would have me honor him and obey it. And uh, I've really not made a whole lot of progress. I've moved some, but I feel like I have a long, long way to go. Again, it's going to be a few minutes till we get to that section. Let me just give you a preview, the gist of what the Lord says, what he said to me and what he says through the scriptures in this particular passage is that he looks for us, his followers, disciples of Christ, not merely to love our neighbors, not merely to love the people that we would normally interact with because we like hanging out with them or we work with them or we go to school with them or we, we live near them, but he commands us and calls us to go and to love those who are most desperate and most needy. We see this in several places in the New Testament. We're going to see it in this passage today once we get near the, the end of it. My objective this morning can really be expressed uh, through a prayer. Um, it's just one long run-on sentence if you're an English teacher, but, um, but that's not what I'm after, uh, grammar here. I'm going to read this uh, prayer, and then at the end of the sermon, I'm praying once the scripture has given weight and import to these words that we'll, we'll stand and pray this together after the uh, sermon is, is completed. Father in heaven, help me to love you with all my being. So that, is a joy and not on, so that it is a joy not only to love those around me, but actually to seek out those who most desperately need your love expressed through me for the glory of Christ. This is what's been in my heart for, for some time. And I'm praying that the Lord will use this, this passage this morning to speak to you as well. Before we get into the word, let's bow our heads again and pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have not left us in the dark, but that you have given us your will for our lives in the word of God, in the scriptures. Lord, we look to so many other things uh, to find happiness, to find joy, to find peace. And we know we need to look to you. We need to look to Christ and we need to look to his word. And we pray today as we look at this section of scripture that you would speak to us. And that we would not be merely hearers of the word, but that we would be doers. Lord, we're in a variety of places, of a variety of ages, uh, all of us gathered here this morning. And I pray that, that your Holy Spirit would speak to each of our different situations. And that we would not just merely hear a sermon this morning, but that we would be changed so that we might represent you well and bring you glory. And as a byproduct, that we would have peace and freedom in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you would turn to Luke chapter 14, this is the uh, passage that I've uh, been talking about and been so convicted by. 
It's on page 873 in the Bibles in front of you. If you didn't have, don't have a Bible with you today, just grab one of those. You're going to want that with you to follow along. We're going to be in this verse by verse, these first 14 verses. And as you're turning there, this passage, the part of it that we're going to cover this morning, there's really two scenes. Um, if it were a play or, or whatnot, there's two scenes, uh, verses uh, 1 through 6 and then 7 through 14. So I'm going to begin a reading verses 1 through 6, uh, scene 1, as it were. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him away. Then he asked them, if one of you has a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull him out? And they had nothing to say. Very interesting here that these, these are the Bible guys of Jesus' day. These are the people who knew the word of God best. And they are silent when Jesus is asking them these questions. I want to spend just a few minutes going through these first few verses. If we go back up to verse 1, we see that it is a Sabbath day. It is the Sabbath, and this is the fourth time in Luke's gospel that there is a Sabbath controversy. We should deduct from this that these, these Bible guys, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, uh, misunderstood this fourth commandment, the Sabbath. They had all of these rules and regulations, but they really didn't understand it. So it's a Sabbath day, and Jesus is going to a, a meal in a, in a private home of a prominent Pharisee. This would be kind of a well-to-do, highly educated, respected guy. And he's going to a private meal at his house. Notice in verse 1, it says that Jesus is being carefully watched. Now, he, he comes into this home, and here is a man with dropsy. Now, even if you have a medical background, you may not be familiar with what dropsy is because it's something really out of the first century, this term. It's not a, a technical modern-day diagnosis. What it is is basically just a swelling uh, of the legs, what we would call edema, and it can have a variety of, of causes. But it's helpful to understand what the rabbis and what the religious leaders understood, wrongly understood, but understood the cause of dropsy to be. The, the, there's two things uh, that they, in their commentaries, that they wrote about what caused dropsy. And the first one is a little, uh, little unusual to talk about. It is, they, they suspected that when a man voluntarily chose not to go to the restroom for an extended period of time, now, I, I don't know, I, where does this come from? You know, there's certain places you, like, keep studying and keep going, and this is not one of them. As I came across this, I was like, what is this from? So that, that was one of the things that they thought caused dropsy. Another thing that they thought caused dropsy, wrongly, was sexual immorality. And so here it's a Sabbath day. There's a meal at this prominent gathering of guys. Jesus walks in, and here's this guy with dropsy. The assumption of everybody there, this guy is a sinner. And they have these sophisticated rules about the Sabbath and what is work on the Sabbath. We don't work on the Sabbath. 
And the assumption of all of these religious leaders, all of the Bible people, the people who know the Bible really well, are saying, you don't heal a guy with dropsy. It's not life-threatening. That's work. And so Jesus shouldn't be doing this. It's interesting, if we drop down to uh, verse, verse 4, after Jesus heals, this, heals the guy, he sends the guy away. I think probably Luke is giving us a picture here that, that this guy wasn't on the, the guest registry. And, and, and so Jesus is, is being compassionate and is just sending him away. He, w- he was being used. He, he didn't have a place at the table. He was there to trap Jesus, the Pharisees, Sadducees, the, the religious leaders had, had set this up. Jesus asked them, is it lawful? And, and the guys who knew their Bibles, knew their Old Testaments a lot better than I do, or Pastor Adam does, or anybody in this room do, they're silent. They're silent. They are not getting it. Now, our tendency when we read a passage like this, my tendency when I read a passage like this, is just to kind of move on. You know, I don't really have Sabbath issues. I don't really have healing people with dropsy issues on the Sabbath. This, this doesn't really ring true. When, when we read this passage in all sorts of portions of the Bible, when we read it, it doesn't ring true with where we're living, and we tend to just move on. And so we have to kind of camp out when it comes to application and ask ourselves, what does God want us to see from this. This wasn't just for the prominent Pharisee. It was for him, but it's also for us because we have the same tendencies. So I want to identify the first religious sin, and we're going to have three of these. These are negative things. These are bad things. The structure of my sermon this morning is based on three, three sins. Religious sin, number one, is that religious observance is more important than loving my neighbor. This is part of what God wants us to see here. This is what is going on. Again, you might be thinking, well, I, I, I don't really have that issue. And, and I think that actually all of us do, in part, have this issue. Where sometimes religious observance is more important than, than healing or loving or showing compassion or being kind to just the people that are around us. What is Sunday morning like in many of our homes? as we're trying to get to church. Maybe the equivalent of of Sabbath for them, our equivalent, is coming to the the Sunday morning worship service each week. It's it's probably the pillar discipline of the faith that we go to church. Instead of describing, I want to show you just a brief video here of 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 how we are like the, the, the Pharisees.
heard at least one or two laughs of identification out there uh, this morning with that video. All of us have been in a place like that. All of us have missed at times what is fundamental to being a believer in Jesus Christ, that is loving God and loving our neighbors, even if our neighbors are our kids, our spouse. And we can yell and fight and be full of anger, um, all on our way to the religious observance that's more important than our man with dropsy that is in front of us. One of the reasons that God has given us his word is to show us how we need to change. And it is key that we learn to live out, our, live out the gospel in day-to-day moments, getting the kids in the car or the grandkids in the car or whatever, whatever the situations are. So there is much for us to apply here coming back to Luke 14. Let me just say a couple other things about this first scene, verses 1 through 6. They're silent this first time. The religious leaders are, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? What they should have done is repented and said, you know, we shouldn't be trapping you. Of course, it's right to heal, to show compassion, to show love to our neighbors on the Sabbath. But they had their own structure in place. They were missing what was really important. So then he draws out that even their own structure had exceptions. For example, if an ox falls in a well on the Sabbath, then, then you're exempt. You, you know, their understanding was, yeah, we can get the, get the ox out of the well because that ox might die. So when it had to do with something of themselves, their own property, their own benefit, they're willing to bend the law of God. But when it has to do with loving someone nearby, caring for someone, showing compassion to someone nearby, that's something that we're going to trap you in. We need to be very careful with this greatest commandment and this greatest, uh, the greatest commandment is lift out as we, as we love our neighbors. So that's religious sin number one. Let's move on to scene two in this passage, which begins, begins at verse seven. So he's, he's at this private home. This, this meal is about to take place. He's sent away, this one with dropsy. And then verse seven, when Jesus, when he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. Now, before we read the parable, let me just again give you a little cultural background here. Uh, the way that they would have sat in those days uh, at a meal like this, and, and this, um, the, the, they would be seat, seated in a U. Uh, there wouldn't be tables. They would be uh, kneeling on the ground with their feet going on, or they'd be laying on the ground basically on their elbows and, and eating this way. It seems kind of crazy to us, but they didn't really have chairs. And there'd be this U, and at the bottom and center of the U is where this prominent Pharisee would be seated. That's where the host, where, where the, the, prime, the place of primacy would be, right at the bottom of this U-shaped tables that was basically on the ground. And so Jesus sees that they are jockeying for position. Uh, the, the, these Bible people, the, the, the Pharisees are jockeying for position to be in the most prominent place. And then he tells them this parable uh, beginning in verse 8. When someone invites you to a wedding feast or, or a banquet, uh, th- this isn't just necessarily referring to a wedding, could, could be translated dinner, banquet. When someone invites you to a wedding feast or a banquet, do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this man your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. 
Then you will be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The key to this parable is in verse 11. Parables are simple stories that have a deeper, more profound theological truth. And Jesus is trying to show the Pharisees, and he's trying to show us uh, that they are not getting it. And when we, to the degree that we are like them, that we are not getting it, we are not getting the gospel, if in our lives and in our social situations we are jockeying for prominence, we are looking for the praise of man. This is what was going on. This is what Jesus uh, identified. And he says in verse 11, that if you are, this is my paraphrase, if you are going to be a follower of me, if you are really truly going to know God, you are not going to live a life trying to, uh, to exalt yourself. In fact, you're going to live a life where you are seeking, by God's grace and through the power of the Holy Spirit, to serve others, to, to, to think of others as better than yourselves. It's totally contrary to the way our minds work. We tend to think, you know, I'm going to be able to help this person. I'm going to be able to show this person. I'm going to be able to fix this person. We tend to think of ourselves, like the Pharisees, as superior to others. And we often want to, in subtle ways, in subtle ways, to be seen as more prominent, as more knowledgeable, as more Christian, as more Bible-based, as more whatever it is that we're after, as more rich if we're caught into the world's scene as, as having more cars or a nicer house or a bigger paycheck. We are caught in these things. So religious uh, sin number two is looking good in the eyes of other Christians is more important than humility. Humility is foundational to the gospel of Jesus Christ and being a Christian. It is something that we have to seek after. It is something that we need accountability with. It's something that we need to Ask God to help us. It does not come naturally to consider others better than ourselves. Looking good in the eyes of other Christians is more important than humility. We need to have candor. Um, you know, we gather in small groups, and um, I think that's really important in our, in our Christian lives. And even in our small groups, there, there is often this kind of culture where there's certain places that, that we don't go. We're, we're, we're like the Pharisees and that we have certain rules and guidelines and we, we don't necessarily go and talk about what is really going on in my heart. For example, as a pastor uh, over years, I know that, that uh, something like credit card debt has been a massive issue in people's lives that, that has all kinds of ripple effects. And, and, and I've talked to countless people who have just, the, the ripple effects have been massive because of, because of credit card debt. But how often in, in, our, in our small group settings do we have the, the humility and the vulnerability to, to say something like, you know, we, we've got, we've got $10,000 in credit card debt and uh, some of that is circumstantial, but some of that was because we were just buying things that we don't need with money that we don't have. And, uh, and we need... We, we, we need some help here. We need to repent. We need, we need uh, some guidance. Uh, we don't often have that kind of transparency. And I think part of that is that we underestimate the, the importance of humility. We see this in our Lord. It was already mentioned, uh, I think, in Heidi's prayer or some, something earlier in the service about how our God uh, has emptied himself and has, has come here in, in humility. He is the ultimate model for us 
and he calls us to live this out. So now we're, we're finally to this last few verses, this section that, uh, that I have been wrestling with for the last few years, really. And God has been speaking so powerfully to that, uh, to me through these next couple verses. So Jesus has spoken now. This parable was, was uh, addressed to the entire group that was uh, invited to this private dinner in this prominent Pharisee's home. But now in verse 12, Jesus turns and he speaks to the prominent Pharisee uh, on an individual way, a one-on-one conversation. And, and Luke gives us perspective through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to this, to this conversation. Look at verse 12. Then Jesus says to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Jesus is saying to this prominent Pharisee who's having this religious gathering, this nice dinner with all of these people who love each other and know their Bibles really well, that you are really missing the boat. Not that that is sinful, not that that is wrong, but we have all of these blind spots, just like the Pharisees do. And if that is all we are doing, having those kinds of folks over for dinner, that's the only kind of hospitality that we're doing. We are doing the same thing that the world does. And so Jesus has just completely turned this dinner upside down. Sending the man away with dropsy. Uh, Now telling the host who's invited him to dinner that you have really missed the entire thing of what it is about following God. Because these were the kinds of things that characterized his life. Having just comfortable fellowship with people that he likes. Not going out of his way to love those who most desperately need it. And in that society in the first century... He mentions these four categories, poor, crippled, lame, and blind. He says this very strongly at the end. They cannot repay you. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. We don't have time to get into eschatology this morning, but the Bible teaches there's going to be a resurrection of those who do not believe to everlasting punishment. Great white throne judgment, it is often called. There's going to be another resurrection of those who truly believe in Christ, who have repented of their sins and have placed their faith in him. The implication here is if you want to be repaid at that resurrection of the righteous, you need to change your entire orientation of how you're thinking. Biblical hospitality is not the same as the hospitality that the world has. Now Jesus is speaking in hyperbole here, but I hesitate to even spend very much time talking about that to diminish what he's trying to say. He's trying to get us to change how we live. So religious sin number three is that normal hospitality is all that Jesus expects from me. All that Jesus expects from me is to have the kind of people over to my home that I'd like to have home. And this isn't just about dinners and homes. It's much broader than that. That I'm just going to hang out with the people that I like to hang out with. That's not what the gospel calls us to do. I think of Romans 5, 8. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
how do we live out Romans 5.8? Not by just hanging around with the people that we like to hang around with. We demonstrate the gospel by reaching out to however, however those categories translate into our community today. That's part of how we live out the gospel, by seeking them out and giving, having dinner at our table with people who cannot repay us. Who, who, you know, if an observer walked in and said, this is a very interesting group of people. We should be having those kinds of responses at our dinner tables and in our fellowship meetings. Uh, John uh, Newton was famous for the hymn that he wrote that we all love so much, Amazing Grace. was a slave trader. God broke through into his life. Deep lover of Jesus Christ, a man of humility. He wrote this about this passage, verses 12 through 14. He said, one would almost think that uh, verses 12 through 14 was not considered part of God's word, nor has any part of Jesus' teaching been more neglected by his own people. I do not think it is unlawful to entertain our friends. That's not the point of this, this parable. But if these words do not teach us that it is in some respects our duty to give a preference to the poor, I am at a loss to understand that. This is what God is calling us to do. Now, I don't know exactly how you need to respond to this. I'm still trying to figure out how I'm supposed to respond to this. But we need to respond to this. Maybe you've been living on the same street for decades, and there's some neighbor that you've just waved to over the years and maybe learned when someone died or they paint their house or something like that. That's the extent of your relationship. Maybe what you need to do is to invite that person over for dinner after a few decades or after a few months. And they'd be thinking, what in the world are you doing having me over for dinner? Well, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ and God has called us to to love other people and just wanted to have you over for dinner. It doesn't have to be a particularly religious sort of meal. I don't know exactly how you need to apply this. I'm still working through it myself. But God is calling us not to ignore passages like this. And there are many others in the New Testament. Um, Tim Keller on this passage writes this. This is a very strong application. He says, to put this in a more modern context... Jesus is saying that we should spend far more of our own money and wealth on the poor than we do on our own entertainment or on vacations or on eating out and socializing with important peers. This is strong. This is something that we need to wrestle with, something that I'm wrestling with as I'm about to go socialize with family and peers for the next week. Again, that's not a bad thing. I'm going to do that with a clear conscience. But what I must also do with a clear conscience is say, who are the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind here in the foothills that you would have me demonstrate the gospel of Jesus Christ by loving them? Who is it? It's not an either or. It's a both and. We should have wonderful fellowship with our friends and our family but we must also do what Jesus is calling us to. This last week as I'm reading this passage and thinking through this, 
the Lord orchestrated an interesting thing, as he often does. You know, we have these prayer cards, which we haven't mentioned this morning, I don't think. Take the time to fill one of these out and drop it in the offering plate. We'd like your prayer requests here. We have these prayer requests, uh, prayer cards, and I was going through them last week. And this particular one here got separated from the rest of the pack. And it's from a, a woman who it was her first Sunday here last Sunday. Uh, I talked to her about this. She knows I'm going to say this. I'm not going to mention her name, but she was here last Sunday for her first Sunday. And she came to our church, I think, for the first time as part of the gathering in. She um, had lost her job, didn't have a place to live. And um, the part that is so sweet is uh, a couple from our church uh, did Luke 14, 12 through 14 on her and befriended her and, and loved her and showed Luke uh, 14 kind of hospitality to her. She's not someone that's going to repay them. That's what biblical hospitality in Luke 14 looks like. That's what the gospel looks like. We love people who can't repay us. That we might actually, it might backfire on us. But that's going to change us. And that's what this couple did. And, they, and she filled out this card and she's, uh, she's back here this week. And I share this with you because this is, I, I don't know what you need to do, but here is a couple in our church, I didn't ask their permission to mention, I'm not going to mention their names, who, who are living this out. Um, God uses just normal people like this couple to invite this woman who is just kind of on the brink. She fits in these four categories in our culture today uh, to love her, to care for her, to shepherd her. God's calling us to do that kind of thing. And if we don't, we are in the same category as the Pharisees here who are just kind of living like the world does. Let's us stand, and I want us to pray uh, this prayer together that I read at the, uh, at the beginning. And we'll close with this, and the uh, worship team will come up. So let's pray this together aloud. Father in heaven, help me to love you with all my being, so that it is a joy not only to love those around me, but actually to seek out those who most desperately need your love expressed through me for the glory of Christ. Amen. for the poor a shelter from the storm this is our God he will wipe away your tears and return your wasted years this is our God oh to the orphan, a 
healer to the broken, this is our God. And he brings peace to our madness and comfort in our sadness, this is our God. Oh.
see 